probably going to go pretty quickly uh, through uh, through them. Uh, Colossians chapter two and verse sixteen. <clears throat> Colossians chapter two, starting at verse sixteen. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have visions of these things. And this is the crux. This part is the crux of what I'm, what I'm going to be speaking on. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected, or in some translation, translations, they are disconnected from Christ, the head of the body. Christ, the head of the body. For he holds, he holds the whole body together, and with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. He holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for allowing, for you allowing me to come and and be revealed to of your word, Lord. It is a privilege and an honor, Lord, to, to preach your word, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that every one of us as a body, Lord, will hear your word, Lord. Let your spirit, Lord, touch each individual heart, Lord, and apply the word that's spoken tonight to each individual, Lord, so that we can grow together as one body, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in sales, there is a way that you do a pitch, and Chris is teaching me this, but how you make a pitch is you simply present a problem, and then you sell the solution. That's, that's pretty much how sales work. Now, I found that I'm very good at presenting problems. What I'm not very good at is presenting solutions. And so I'm going to endeavor to present not just a problem, but a solution. Every time that I get up to preach, every time that I, that I get a sermon together, it is my intention to just get a rah-rah, everybody clapping. It never seems to happen. But, but I'm, I, I'm going to try to present some encouraging words tonight. <laughs> so... I believe I would be correct in stating that all false doctrine, any error that comes into the body, into the church, all can be centralized in one flaw, and that is how we view Jesus Christ. How we perceive and how we see him directly reflects on how we proceed in our Christian walk. And if there is a flaw... If there is a distortion in how we see him, then it is going to distort our walk in him. And so that so when I read this setting of scripture, the error that these people find themselves in is because they are not connected to Christ. That is the head of the body. And so because they are not connected to him, they find themselves in error. If we hope to have any connection to Christ, the head of the body, it would stand to reason that anyone claiming to be a minister of Christ should emphasize the necessity of being connected to the body of Christ, of which he is the head. 
Now, I said that because there is this, and I've been thinking about this for a while, and I've been praying about this for a while. Of all of the institutions and things that, that, that God lays down in his scripture, that Jesus lays down in his scripture, and the things I'm talking about are going to church, praying, prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, all those things that we connect to Christianity. Of all those things, church seems to be the only one that we attach an option to. You follow me? And I know, you know, and as I've talked to many people who don't attend church and they have some kind of view that church, you know, you know, I've been hurt in church. I've heard that a lot, you know, that, that there's certain men that have, that have led people astray and taken advantage of people. And, and I understand all that. But let me just say this. There are many monstrous abuses that have been done in any aspect of, of Christianity, whether there have been people who have prayed amiss and through their prayer have led people down the wrong path. There have been people who have, in the name of the Bible, endorsed really bad things. And yet those particular things, we do, no self-respecting Christian would ever say those things are optional would never say, well, because somebody has abused Bible reading, we no longer have to read the Bible. Or that somebody has abused prayer, therefore we no longer have to pray. Nobody would ever say that. You don't hear that. But when it comes to the body of Christ, attending, being a part of, there are all sorts of reasons that we use to not do those things. In fact, there are a lot of things that we hold dear in our lives that have been abused, but we don't forsake those things. There are many people shot by guns, but everybody here, I would say, has no problem with owning a gun. There are many abuses done in the name of free speech, but nobody is ever doubting free speech. I think you're following my point here. Church is the only thing that seems to be optional. Now, there are charlatans out there. And I'm gonna, I would be the first one to point them out. They are an easy target. Okay, Joel Osteen is somebody that we pick on a lot up here. And I'm probably going to pick on him again. But there is something more to that than just a man getting up. Who put them? Who put him up there? Who put him in that place? Let me, let me just read you this scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 says, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. Now, who's they? The charlatans or the people? The people. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. They will heap unto themselves false teachers because of what they want to hear. And so as much as I can, you know, make fun of certain preachers and call them out, and, well, and deservedly so call some out, if I were to take one of them down, the people would just put another one up. It's what they want to hear. It's it's. it's they have put in place the person that is teaching them what they want to listen to. Okay? 
the church is full because they have put somebody in place that they want to listen to. And so I, I have some sympathy for some pastors, some local pastors around here to have, that have made, um, well, how should I say that? They have bent their doctrine in order to accommodate the people. It's easy to, I can see where it's easy to fall in that. The whole point is so we can have a church. Well, if nobody's going to be in the church, then what's the point? And so this is not something new. Men for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years have bent the Christian doctrine in order to get people through the door. They have done that. But they have done that as a result of the fickle nature of those walking through the door. And so people have all sorts of reasons why they don't come because there's not a coffee bar or because, you know, there's the music is in a certain way. And I would say this, and I think I've put a pretty fine point on this, is that it has more to do with what the congregation wants than it has to what the person behind the pulpit. Okay? Because there is a lot of excuse making to when it comes to being the body. So a Christian must ask himself this question. Is the church of Jesus Christ, of which he is the head, ordained of God or not? Is the gathering together of the saints ordained of God or not? And if we, the answer is yes, then it is our duty to be a part of that gathering. It is imperative for us to do it. It cannot be optional. Amen? Everybody following me on? So far, okay. One of the uh, one of the myths that Second Timothy is talking about is what the function of the body is about, and I'm going to try to just paint a little bit of a picture of what the Lord has revealed to me on on the function of the body, how it is gathered, the mind of Christ when it comes to that. Will you follow with me on that? So in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 6 through 8, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, and you have put in subjection all things under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he's left nothing not subject to him, but as present, not yet, we see all things having been subjected, subjected to him. Now, hold that thought. I'm going to get to that. But I want to read also in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. This is just, we all love this scripture. Every Christian loves this scripture. And we know that God works together all things for good to those loving God, to those being called according to his purpose. Now, I want to break down, you know, pastor preached about this, all things, and so I want to break down this word, all. Uh, it is the word panta, as, as Pastor said. And let me just read straight the definition as I, as I got it off the internet. It says, means all in the sense of each and every part that applies. Each and every part that applies. The emphasis of the total picture, then, is on one piece at a time, then focuses on the parts making up the whole. Viewing the whole in terms of individual parts. And now we can take, I'm going to take that into a lot of different areas, but it is how I can describe it to you is 
the emphasis on one piece and then it is applied to another piece. And as each piece is attached together, we get a whole picture. We get a, we start to see things a little bit clearer. And so there's a lot of emphasis in churches now about the individual, about your best life now, about what God can do for you, about how you can be better because of God. And now I don't discount that God wants to do a work in each and every, every one of us individually. That everybody here has an individual, what, what, you know, the mantra would be a personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody should have one. Everybody in here, I'm, I'm sure, does have one. My point is this. It is God's purpose in us is not simply to make us better people for the sake of us being better people. The point is that all these things are subject to him. Each individual person is subject to his grand, glorious purpose. It's not simply that we can just have our best life. I heard, I, I heard this preacher said, of, you know, and like I said, I'm going to make fun of Joel Osteen. I'm going to do it now. But um, he said, if your best life's now, that's, what are you going to do in the afterlife if this is your best life now? I'm looking for my best life later, not, not here. But the point I'm trying to make here is that although God works in us individually, his purpose in us is to bring us together in order for him to accomplish his glorious purpose. That he shapes me as an individual, not so that I could just have my own walk, but so that I can now be attached to another. Does that make sense? Okay. I say, I, I ask if that makes sense, not because I doubt your ability to hear what I'm saying. It's my doubt in my own ability to articulate what I'm saying. So, the purpose being the goal and the pieces being part of that goal. All things that apply. Everything is subject to Christ, but not everything applies. There, you know, Pastor and the, and the guys we talk after um, on Wednesday, and Pastor brought up this point that there are some things that are subject to God, and then there are some, some things that Jesus just leaves subject to us. Okay? That we walk in this umbrella, and that, you know, when we moved here, Amber and I had to have a house. I needed the Lord in that to get us a house. But that doesn't mean that every point in that decision was subject to God. I don't think God cared what color that I picked the house. I don't think he really cared, you know. But I did have to have one. And so there were things that were subject, and then there were things that were not subject. And as we move along in the, this Christian life, there, were things, there are things that apply to it, but then as we move along, there are things that no longer apply to it. I think Austin really put his finger on it when he said that as we move forward, we forget about those things that are behind us. That, as, that even though all things that we have walked through attach themselves together and we get a clearer understanding of Jesus Christ, as we move along, we cannot hold on to those things forever. They have to eventually join together in order for us to see Christ more. And if they do not, then they don't apply. They no longer apply. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, give a few examples of that. Um, everything that we go through, every... Uh, 
trial, every tribulation, every, every good time, every bad time, all those things apply at the time. But as we move along, I cannot hold on to those things. I have to move forward. They have to become a part of the whole, not just an individual piece. In Philippians chapter 3 and, and verse 8, this is Paul talking. He says, but indeed, therefore, I count all things as lost because of the excelling knowledge of Christ, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of whom I have lost all things and esteem them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Does that mean that he hates everything that he ever went through or every, every person he ever talked to? Or No, it means that as he is pursuing Christ, those things either connect themselves and, and, and help him in his pursuit, or they drop off as we move along. So are there times that God deals with me as an individual and cares? Does God care about what I'm doing as an individual? Does God care about my personal family and my personal conduct and who I am? Does he care about me as an individual? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. But... I have to allow myself to be shaped in order to be attached. And if I'm not doing that, then I lose the whole point of God doing those things to me in the first place. Let me just move along here. Oh, I stapled that one upside down. Excellent. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 23, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scatters. The Lord loves to join things together. Loves to bring things together. The devil loves to keep things as individuals. The devil loves to keep things in pieces. Love it. You know, Amber was um, Amber was uh, uh, showing me this picture, <clears throat> and it was a caption of a, a person who had put together this this. Well, he didn't put together a puzzle. It was a puzzle, and it had the the cover of what the puzzle's supposed to look like, and it's this horse running through a field, and with the blue sky and the green grass. And what the person did is they took the puzzles, they took all the puzzle pieces that were that were um, the color of the horse, and he piled them all together and then shaped it like a horse. And then he took all the puzzle pieces that were sky blue, and he put those all in a pile and shaped them like the sky. And this is, this is what the devil likes to do. Takes, takes, likes to take individual pieces and present them as the whole. But they're not the whole. See, what I mean by being drawn together and being shaped is we are like puzzle pieces. And we are being shaped in order to fit together. And as we are fitted together, we begin to see what the picture should look like. And that happens to us as individuals. As we walk this life out, things happen to us. And God shapes those things into pieces that fit. And as they fit together, we see him a lot more clearer than we did before. This is the Lord bringing things together. But what the devil loves to do is he likes to take an individual puzzle piece and loves to present that as the whole. And that that little p individual piece, you are the most important thing to God. That is 
the devil taking you and keeping you as an individual piece and not allowing you to be joined together. He does this in our thoughts as well. He presents one thought and we begin to dwell on that one thought and we begin to build. This is the, this is the definition of anxiety. I know firsthand what this is like. Some noise goes outside and instead of going, okay, well, there's animals outside. I've got a gun in the room. I've got, you know, dogs. We're okay. I'm not going to panic. But in my mind, my mind goes, that could be Bigfoot. That could be somebody trying to, you know, and, I'm, and the thought keeps building, and I'm building on things, and I lose all perspective of things that, uh, of the reality of the situation. And this is what the devil does. He loves for you to build on individual things and not attach yourself together. And it leaves this distorted incomplete picture he loves to take that puzzle that beautiful picture that beautiful whole picture and break it up into pieces and put the the individual pieces on the wall you know what that's called abstract art and it's really terrible it's not pretty but it's presented as pretty and this is what the devil does presents he does not present the whole he wants you to build on the piece and this is what Christians have caught the, caught, gotten caught up in. Let me give you an example of this. Take the, take the period of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if I were to walk like those men walk, if I were to live my life as those men lived, you would call me a reprobate if I take what they were doing and apply it to my Christian life right now. Does that mean they were reprobates? No. They were walking in the time that they had. They were walking in, the, in, in obedience that was revealed to them. But, they, but we cannot bring that forward and build on that. No more than I can take the Mosaic temple worship and bring that into Christianity and build on that. I have to put those two things together and move forward. And this is why you see David having it just a viewpoint that not very many people do because he is looking back and he's seeing what God did in the beginning and then he's seeing what God did in the patriarchs and he's connecting those things together and he's starting to have an understanding of the bigger picture. He's starting to have an understanding of, man, what God's doing something more than just men wandering around in a desert and having children. God's doing something more than just bringing us out of Egypt into a land just so we could sit here and temple worship. There is more to it than that. But we, but the devil has done such a good job of just parsing things out and breaking things up and having us build on those things. So let me give you another example, and I'm not going to keep you too long, but I just want to make sure I, I make my point here. In Matthew chapter 4, Chapter 4, and I'm going to start at verse 1. This is the devil tempting Jesus. And I want to, I want, if you can catch this, um, it says, And then when Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made to bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, now listen closely. Then the devil, taking him into the holy city, set up 
him on a pinnacle of the temple and says to him, if you be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Did you kind of catch that there? The devil presents a scripture to Jesus. Do this because the scripture says this. Is there is that scripture wrong? No. But when taken out and not connected to what Jesus says, it is wrong. And that's why Jesus comes in and, and completes that scripture. Completes that says, "No, no, no. I'm not building on that. I'm building on them connected together." Amen? Amen. Were you with me so far? You with me so far? I've only got probably three more pages to go. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close. I'm getting close. Rodney said this, gave me this quote. I love this quote. It's beautiful. It ties perfectly to what I'm saying right here. There was an apostolic preacher, and I think he was on TV. Uh, he said, um, a, a person asked him, uh, where in the Bible does it say that you can't have a beard? And he said, it's not about the Bible. It's about holiness. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm taking a piece, an incomplete picture, and I'm building the whole on it. I'm building the church upon that incomplete piece. Jesus has a story about this, and you'll all recognize it. It's the story about the person who built their house on seeking sand. Because we're to build our house on the rock. But what is sand but pieces of rock? Little pieces that we build our, our house on. Not building on the whole. It's exactly that picture I, I described to you of all those puzzle pieces. And we just pile them all together. And it looks good. It looks kind of but it's not what God intended. So when a person comes up and gets behind the pulpit and says, if you are baptized in this name and in this bathtub, you have the whole. No, you don't. You have a piece. When somebody gets up and says, only the Bible, no spirit, we've we are building on a whole. We're not building on a piece. Or we're building on a piece. We're not building on a whole. Are you following me? We're building a house on sinking sand. We're not building it on the whole of the rock. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And the church is to the be, be the image of the invisible Christ. We are to be that image. It's imperative, though, that we connect together in order to be that image in order to be that image let's see if i can find my place here now that everything's upside down that's upside down too excellent all right okay i'm 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 gonna land her in about two and a half one and a half pages here okay so in john chapter 14 verse one through four and i'm just gonna quote one little part here but in that setting, one through four here, the pastor preached about this a long time ago, and it stuck with me. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you, and I am coming again 
and will receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That where I, not, not where I'm going, where I am, you will be also. Where, where is he? On the earth as a man. Walking this thing out as a man. That's how we are to walk, the church is to walk out. That's how we are to be, be the image. Not having angel feathers, not getting into some abstract, no. To be men on the earth, men and women on the earth, walking out his will. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. Hold on to that. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. So that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the house of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. The image of the living God is the body of Christ upon the earth. So if we are to be the image of God upon the earth, then why am I trying to look beyond where Jesus, what Jesus was doing on the earth. There is just this notion, you could hear it in some preaching, you could hear it in some commentaries, some commentaries in my Bible kind of have this, that somehow the church has graduated beyond the ministry of Jesus Christ. That somehow we are in a greater dispensation than what Jesus was in. But when Jesus says we're going to do greater things, what does he mean by that? What he means is that instead of one man doing the will of God in, on, on earth, there is going to be a gathering of people in his name doing the will of God on the earth. That we are, our mandate as a church is never to go beyond what Jesus was doing in the earth. We are to, what is the church supposed to emulate? Jesus in the earth. If we're confused on what the purpose of the church is, I look to the ministry of Jesus Christ and I see it. That's what it is. But I, as an individual, cannot be the image of God. I can't. I can only be a piece of the image of God. But only as I attach to you and you attach to me and we attach together do we see an image of Christ. And then our mandate as we are attached together is to exercise what he did upon the earth by him. So when we gather together in his name, what are we doing? We are wanting our rabbi to come in the midst to give us what to do. To instruct us on how we are to act. To, to instruct us on how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. That's what, our, what, that's what we are to do. In Colossians, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn of many among many brothers and sisters. Christ is the image of God. We are the image of Christ. That follow me on that? So in Romans chapter 12, when it says, Be transformed to, by the renewing of your mind, what are we being transformed into? His image. And then if you go on in that chapter, he begins to talk about how we attach ourselves in the church, how we, we love one another, our relationship together, because that's, how we, that's the purpose of our transformation. 
is to be attached together. That's what we are being transformed into, into pieces that can fit together in order to exercise his will together upon the earth, upon the earth. When Jesus says he's preparing a place for us, that doesn't mean a place where we can hang out together. It is a place where we can conform into his image. Our goal is not to graduate beyond what he did on the earth, but conform to what he did on the earth. Okay, I am landing this plane, I promise. I just got one more setting here. And I'll just read it real quick. This is uh, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13. Pastor mentioned this, I think, two weeks ago, this setting of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And when I say that we don't go beyond what Jesus did on the earth, I have to go to what he did on the earth. That's where I have to go. And so I'm, I'm going to go there right now. It says, now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard about it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he came ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them, healed their sick. And now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded and the hour is already past to eat. Send the crowds away so that they may go into villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go. You... You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the crowds to sit on the grass, he took five loaves and the two fishes and looked toward heaven. And he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Let me, let me emphasize that. He gave to his disciples... And his disciples gave to the crowd. I can find no greater picture than that of the purpose of the church that he gives to us and then we give out. And then we give out. Now, sometimes we don't have a lot. That's not up to us. Well, how much I have is not up to me. It's up to him. But I know that if he can't commands me to give it out, He's going to bless it, and he's going to break it, and it's going to go out. In James chapter 5 and verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The church is the physical manifestation of Jesus' will on the earth. We've been discussing about, the. I think pastor was asked a few years ago, where is the body of Christ? You know, does Christ still have a body? And that's something, you know, it's fun to discuss that. And, you know, but the body of Christ is right here. What I mean by the physical manifestation of Christ on the earth is when a hand needs to, when the hand of the Lord needs to give out, he is using our fleshly hands to do it. When there is a need that has to be met, that takes a physical body to do, we are that physical body that does it. I was praying to the Lord, you know, um, actually when Pastor was, was preaching about, um, you know, the people that lost their house, and I was praying, Lord, help them, Lord, help them. 
And as I'm praying, Lord, help him, the spirit began to move on me, and it's, I began to change my prayer, prayer to, Lord, help me help them. Lord, help me to help them. And now, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in, in the hospital with Jake, and, and him and I are, are talking back and forth, and I just felt the spirit of the Lord come upon me. I said, Jake, what is the church for if not for moments like these? What are we doing if not for moments like these? So I can sit and I can say, Lord, help Jake. Or I could say, Lord, help me help Jake. Because that is exercising God's physical will on the earth. Through us, through what we do. Now, I turn you back to what I read at the very beginning. God has to supply. God has to nourish. I can't give out what I don't have. Chris talked about this last week. I cannot give out what I don't have. But as he gives to me, I give out to the people. I give out to those who are in need. Now, I promise I'm putting a bow on this, a very concise bow. I'm wrapping this, wrapping this up. But let me just say this. Let me just take the burden off of you. I watch this, I watch this commercial. It comes on all the time. I hate it. But it's, you see all these refugees, and they're coming over the border, and just all, you know, oh, oh, my goodness, all these poor people. And then it says Jesus was a refugee. And it makes me want to vomit every time. It, it is not the church's mandate to help everybody out there. It's not our mandate. Our mandate is only to help those who are in here. Now, what do I mean by that? Does that mean I never talk to somebody about the Lord outside of this body? Does that mean I never try to help somebody? No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. But if I'm going to provide help, it's going to be those in here first. Because this is what, this is, this is the crux of it. I can only help people if they attach themselves to the body. I only have what the Lord gives me. And I cannot supply what the Lord is giving me if they are not attached to his body. So when the Lord says in, in Acts chapter 2, and he added to the church those who would be saved, what he means is how the Lord's going to help those out there who would be saved, he's going to help them by adding them to the body of Christ. Let me just give you this, the, the definition of adding here, because just, let me just, real quick. Properly put together for the purpose to gather, to add up, stressing the objective of increasing, reaching the goal for doing it. How does God save the earth? How does God save the world? By attaching it, those who would be saved, to the body. And when he shapes them and molds them and makes them into that piece that fits our body perfectly, and that takes time, and that takes accountability and dedication, and that's up to the individual. That's not up to me. But if they can do that, then the whole body can supply them with what they need. Amen? Amen. Pastor? Oh.